Welcome back to another episode of the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast. I'm Jason P. Woodbury, and that's Processed by the Boys from Proto Martyr's new album, Ultimate Success Today. It's the Detroit-based post-punk band's fifth album, and it feels, well, prophetic doesn't seem to be a stretch. With its references to disease, institutional brutality, and gross inequality, symptoms of a cosmic grief beyond all comprehension, the new album matches the apocalyptic mood of the U.S. and much of the world in 2020. But it also speaks to the continued growth of the proto-martyr aesthetic, pairing guest vocals and contributions by players associated with free jazz and experimental music with reverb-drenched guitars and brittle rhythms. Writing about the album, Anna De Silva of the Raincoats says, Our world has reached a point that makes us afraid. Fires, floods, earthquakes, hunger, war, intolerance. These are cries of despair. Is there any hope? For this episode of Transmissions, I rang up frontman and lyricist Joe Casey to answer that question, as well as to discuss the artistic growth of Proto Martyr, the uncanny influence of Robocop, and other doomed and damned topics. Ultimate Success Today will be available in record stores and online July 17th via Domino Records. Before we hear from Joe, a reminder. Transmissions relies on our supporters on Patreon. Everything an Aquarium Drunkard does. So if you enjoy this show, our mixes, the Lanyap sessions, where your favorite artists cover their favorite artists, our weekly sidecar newsletter, and the rest of our efforts, please consider helping us out by pledging your support for our independent outfit. You'll get cool stuff in the process as well. Thanks for listening. Here's my talk with Joe Casey of Proto Martyr. We'll be back next week. taking the time and for joining us here on the uh transmissions podcast uh i i guess i'll just start off by asking you what it's like putting putting out a record in in 2020 i have to imagine that uh five albums in you'd probably sort of got used to how a record works and then this year it's it's has it been dramatically different yeah, it, uh, frankly, it, it, it kind of sucks. It's not uh, it's not a pleasant experience to try to uh, put out a record uh, with everything that's going on. Um, especially since, like, it's when it comes out, it's going to be almost a year since we recorded it, and so it's going to seem to me it already seems like the distant past. And to have it come out when the world is dealing with other things, far more important things. You can feel a little bit like uh, frivolous, you know. Uh, but it's your livelihood, and it's you know. So there's that. So yeah, it's weird. Yeah, you you know um, when we when we talked in in the past, um, we talked last year about um, No Passion, All Technique, which was your first album that was reissued. Um, you kind of talked about how. Proto Martyr initially came together almost as, you know, on a lark. You know, you guys were kind of like just just fooling around with with the concept. Uh, with ultimate success today, 
you're on album number five, so we're talking a pretty substantial discography. Um, I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about how how the way you see the band or envision your role in it changed as you guys started working on this one. Uh, as you said, a while ago, you know, a, a year, you know, it's been out for, it's been finished for a long, a long while, but if you can get back in that headspace of going into making the, the fifth album, did, did it feel different to you this time? Yeah, each one, each one's a, uh, a completely different experience. I, I think approaching this one was just, like you said, we were, had toured uh, Relatives in Descent for two years, you know, and gone all over the world. And, and, and so it was really, I think that we were anxious to get an album going. So in the interim, we had re-released our first record, which... You know, we recorded the first record in four hours, you know, 22 songs in four hours. Yeah. And it was really kind of like, we had never been in a studio before, really, and it was just, you know, it was so foreign and new, and uh, in our youthful exuberance, we just kind of plowed through these songs, mistakes and all. And I stand by that record as a great kind of first uh salvo but it, yeah like you said we never thought it was going to go any farther and so when you get to your fifth record you got to deal with uh you know the band is getting good they're getting maybe better than they they should be uh, <laughs> i have to keep up with them so you're, you're trying to find new ways to uh fit yourself into the band because they're you know their talent has grown you know they haven't really leveled off and so you're just trying to think of uh, ways to to make it new for yourself. And I think we were just so excited to, you know, go back to the studio and getting stuff recorded that that, that excitement was there. But also it was like, well, okay, we've been doing this, you know. I think whenever there's a end of a decade, uh, the older you get, the more depressing it gets because you're like, well, how many more decades will I have? Like, what has changed in this decade and right. this was the decade of proto-martyr you know we started 2010 starting the band and you know then it was i knew this was going to come out in 2020 and we didn't want it to be like a complete nostalgia thing so it's like okay what can i say to kind of wrap up these 10 years and uh kind of like put a bow on it and say okay here's here's the five records and leave myself open to the future yeah yeah this album it it sounds like a proto martyr record, but um, but it sounds like a, a proto martyr record with a lot of new things happening. Uh, I mean, it specifically incorporates you know reeds in a major way. They're they're woodwinds on this album. You've got people like Isaac Mills and Fred Longberg Holm and and uh, Jamil Moondock, I think is uh, how you say that. Um, mm-hmm. And you know he's like he's recorded a ton as a leader and studied under Cecil Taylor and all this stuff. I, I'm curious what prompted you guys to move in that direction to sort of work some some jazz touches into sort of the the post punk framework. Um, what were the conversations like that that sort of led you all down that road uh, conceptually or however else it might have you know kind of came together? Well, it was it was two two major forces I think. And number one was. Greg saying that he'd been listening to a lot of jazz and that he wanted to have those elements in place of, in the past he had used synths 
and lots of effects on his guitar to kind of fill up the sound. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's when you have, you know, when Greg is kind of doing a lot of the melody all by himself for a lot of these songs. And so he's, he's always got to think about, you know, I would, I'm glad he's not sick of the guitar, but he's always got to think of like ways to like supplement the guitar. Yeah. And so it's always scary, you know, and somebody says, Oh, I want to have this be a jazz influence record. It's like, Oh, that's going to be terrible. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to fuck it up somehow. And so it's like, you know, you might as well say, ah, I want to do a ska record. You know, it's that out of the blue, but he latched on to the idea of collaboration and that, you know, you can bring in these elements and, you know, it's more of a communication between the, you know, so it's not just you're hiring a guy like, Oh, come in and, and, uh, play the clarinet, but go, boop, you know, tell him what to do. Come in and say, Hey, you know, collaborate with us and help us, you know, make this song better. And that was the first thing. The second thing is we had done an EP with Kelly deal. And on the last song, she was like, Oh, I got some ideas. I want to bring in some, some, some of my friends to add the strings and woodwinds and, you know, and, and so that I think that experience of like working with Kelly kind of collaborating with her and then having her bring in this kind of weird, interesting element was like, Oh yes. You know, like our songs and our sound can withstand this kind of abuse, you know? And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. so that was the two driving forces I'd say. So you, you brought these players in and, and you weren't necessarily having them read off of charts. You were more or less, I mean, what was, was their approach were you encouraging sort of an improvisational approach or uh, cause it doesn't really sound like a, the touches are, are they're fairly arranged if that's a fair way to put it. You know, it doesn't sound like uh like people just came in and sort of blew, you know, free jazz style, you know, all over the, the top of these songs, you know? Well, that's, that's exactly what uh, Jamil did. <laughs> really? like he, he did, yeah. uh, like we knew specifically we wanted like there was two songs we knew we, we really we felt had a loose enough framework that he could do you know pretty much whatever he wanted sure and that's that's exactly what he did that on um day without end and tranquilizer he was just you know yeah. and and <clears throat> you know he, he kind of played it on a couple more songs but like those two were the ones where it's like do whatever you want sure you know? Sure. Uh, there wasn't, you know, and I wasn't in much of the discussion. You know, I tried to not uh, embarrass the musicians in the room by admitting that I don't know what <laughs> anything. You know, so like when you said, did they use charts? I'm like, charts? I don't think so. I don't even know what a chart is. Right. You know, no, like there's nothing written down. Like uh, what Isaac Mills plays on, like Process by the Boys. Like Greg will say, like, hey, I'd like you to kind of double like his general thing was like, I want the horns and the woodwinds and the strings to replace what would be effects or what be, would be a synth line. Right. You know, so there, there was a lot of doubling and things, but also like Isaac was like, Oh, I had this melody. Um, I was listening to the song on the subway and I had this melody in my head and then he puts it on the song and it completely changes the temperature and the shape and the tone of, you know, like the, 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 the clarinet that's running through it is just like, Oh, you know, it's, now we have a, a a new song because of it. So that was, you know, there was no, it was Greg saying, Hey, let's kind of double stuff up uh, if you can. But like, you know, uh, and I am, you now it's like Fred, we're, we want this one to have a lot of noise and be very, you know, crazy and eclectic. 
and you tell him that and he goes, okay, he knows exactly what to do. And they just, you know. so that the, the collaboration has got to be freedom of like, do whatever you want, you know, when, when that's happening and, and, and the, the additional players, your, your collaborators are sort of filling out the song and changing the shape of it into new things. Um, you know, did that require uh, you to sort of, um, think about what you do as a, as a vocalist any differently this, this go round? Um, yeah, a little bit. Like it's great because I really wanted to get, uh, after listening to the, the first record, when we reissued it, it's like, Oh, like I was a lot more spontaneous mostly because I didn't have time. I didn't know what to do. Like half the songs in the first record, I don't really think have official lyrics because I just kind of went in and, 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 you know, spit all over them. So like, I wanted to kind of bring that sort of, if not that clumsily, I wanted to bring back that sort of feeling of like the music, like the music inspiring me in the moment. So there's a lot more. So having, these songs, you know, the studio can be very boring where it's like there's two days of drum tracking where they just record all the drums and right. you know, a day of finding bass sounds, you know, for for a lyricist and a, and a person as lazy as I am, that can be very frustrating at time because it's like it feels like the energy is being sapped out of these songs because you see them getting made. But then you record these songs, and then you bring in the collaborators and immediately it's like this is a brand new song. It's sparking new ideas. It's, you know. Uh, whereas maybe I thought like, okay, I, I can rest during this part. All of a sudden now there's an energy there that wasn't there before that I have to like think about. So sure. it was exciting to me because it like refreshed the songs right before it was time for me to do the vocals, you know, you know, I've talked, so. to, I've talked with people in the past, you know, some of my favorite lyricists or, or songwriters, guys like John Darnielle from the mountain goats or, or Craig Finn from the hold steady. And i you know, have talked with them at various points in their, their career. And, and both of those dudes are guys who, I don't think that what you do is the same thing, but, but it, but it's like a helpful enough comparison when we talk about somebody who is, uh, you know, not behaving like a traditional rock singer in a rock band, you know? Um, and, and something that they both have mentioned was that as time has gone on, you know, they became more in- interested in really, treating their, their, their voice, something like an instrument, you know, and, and, and playing with things melodically. And, and just as a, as a natural consequence of having done this for 10 years, do you feel like when you step up to the microphone, you know, you're thinking about it in a, in a different way than you were when, when things started? I mean, doesn't, I guess, like you just said, you, you maybe weren't thinking about it at all when it started, it was pure impulse, but but at this point, I have to imagine that there's a little bit more um, consideration that goes into it now. Is that, is, does that feel feel right? I mean, no. It, I, again, it was like hearing the first record. It was like, oh, that was always kind of a founding principle of Proto Martyrs that there's four pieces, and the four pieces have equal weight in the song. Yeah. So, and doing things where like there wasn't necessarily like wine of ape from the first album doesn't have any lyrics really. It just has an expression of some emotional state of being drunk and, and getting into a fight at a bar. Right. So it's like, that is, you know, you can, what's great about being a singer or a lyricist or whatever is that you can change, 
depending on what the song gives you, you can you can either it can either be a very writerly experiment or it can be the sound of a someone yawning or something. You know, like you can. So like on this album, Tranquilizer is a hundred percent. Uh, less about the words and more about the feeling that they evoke. Whereas something like the aphorist is like written, you know, like almost more as a poem to fit the song. You know, it's, you, you can mix it up. My voice is always just one quarter of the song. It's just like it, it's not sitting on top of it. I, don't, I hate it when lyric, vocals sit on top of songs. I love it when I have to fight against Greg's guitar yeah. or, you know, Alex's rhythm is like I have to fit in between his symbols you know even though i hate symbols <laughs> yeah but yeah there's not a, there's not usually like a I, I yeah that's that's interesting why do you hate symbols uh i they're they're loud yeah <laughs> and uh usually i'm standing right uh in front of them in a concert so i it, it to me this is going to sound blasphemous but to me I, I find a lot of symbols to be uh extraneous noise Sure. I, I I like you know the beats and I like the and so you know and but as we've gotten better as a band and we've been mic'd better and you know I, I I've come around to appreciate them but I remember at first it was one of my things as a you know Alex please uh, not not too many symbols yeah. but I think now he's he's uh, he knows what he's doing with the symbols so he can do some I don't want to say no symbols but when you're standing in front of symbols for months on end it can get a little a little tedious sure. for for most of 2020 i've been really thinking about you know the apocalypse or or what apocalypse means in our maybe collective imagination uh i'm sure that i am far from the only person who's thinking in these terms but ultimate success today you know these songs lyrically they make reference to disease and riots and essentially just sort of the fraying edges of society. Um, Anna De Silva of the Raincoats wrote in, in notes included with the album um, that reminded her of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. And I, I wondered, you know, I feel like maybe you always sort of, Im you, you're drawn to that kind of imagery already. Um, but, but did this feel like it was born out of an especially apocalyptic feeling for you this record no i mean this record and, and again we just have kind of like dumb luck when it comes to putting putting records out but it wasn't it wasn't an apocalyptic feeling that was inspiring to me when it was a, a very personal like fear of death that you know i I joked with somebody that the other Proto-Martyr records are, it's really sad when people you love die. And then this album is, it's really sad when you die. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it, it, I was going, I, I'm going to say it was just, you know, I hope I have many years ahead of me, but if it felt last year when I was sick, I just felt like, you know, I guess this is what like a midlife crisis is where you just realize that the, the, uh, what you have ahead of you is smaller than what you had behind you and that you, you know, you start feeling your age and you're wondering like if, if you wasted your life and all these kind of things that come into play. But also just, I really was going through a period where I couldn't sleep uh, and I couldn't, 
I couldn't, it, it, I, a lot of times I can envision things that calm me down or like I can have, I can imagine stories or something to calm me down so I can go to sleep. And these story, I was just having such a weird death fixation of like, oh man, like this is it. Like what happens when, you know, and it really infused my life enough that I was worried about it. But then when it became time, like on top of that, you got to write an album. And so you could either, you know, I could have tried to not let it bleed into the album writing process, but that's not how I, that's one thing that I've always done is like, what am I going through now? Let me try to infuse the album with it. And, uh, so that kind of, you know, it kind of took over the album in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, and I couldn't figure out if, you know, you, you never know when you're too scared to go to the doctor, you, you never know if, if it's just all in your head or are you worrying too much or are you worrying not enough, you know? And it just seemed like, you know, it affected the, the music. I, you know, I think the first song that was shared from the record was processed by the boys. Um, I remember hearing that song kind of right as the, the pandemic was taking shape. And, and I know that there's that line, you know, a foreign d- disease washed up on the shores. And I can't help but think that like, you know, let's say 10 years from now, people might listen to this record and think that it's like a, a direct commentary on what's happening right now. And um, it doesn't sound to me like that had anything to do with your um, creating the album. That wasn't where you were coming from. Um, And I wonder if, if you feel more or less comfortable with the fact that this stuff just goes out into the world and people get to make those assumptions, you know, or if as a writer that, maybe bothers you some that that i I don't know yeah does that does that bother you a little um i mean i mean at the end of the day you can't be like stupid people don't understand my my deep (laughs) lyrics like right if you do that you'll never be happy because people are always going to interpret it their own way yeah um it is going to be interesting that it will probably be like oh you know if if we are having retrospectives in the future, if we are, you know, if this is truly the apocalypse, then we won't be. But if we are having retrospectives where we look back on 2020 and people put this as, oh, this is the coronavirus, you know, thing. It's about the process by the boys is about like police brutality, you know. Then that's that's a fair reading of, of the album because like that, as much as I was rolling around and holding my tummy uh, alone last summer, like trying to think of lyrics. A lot of it was, I was like, am I just, is this the outside world affecting how I'm feeling? Is this because sure. things are so screwed up or is it because, you know, you, you got like a gallbladder infection or something like what, you know, or you got some sort of cancer growing inside you. What, you know, what is going on? And so, yeah, like the way you perceive things is always, how you're feeling. So it's like, if it's, if people are feeling it, this is a, an album of the time that it came out, then that's fine. I, I can't, I can't fight it. I can, I do think it's funny when people are like, Oh, he says foreign disease wash upon the beach. Like, how did he know? And it's like, well, I got it wrong. Maybe because I said that the foreign disease is not the thing that's going to kill you. That's a fiction. It's not the thing that's going to destroy society. It's how you deal with it, you know. And if you're, if the people in charge are the boys, you know, the 
and I wrote the song mostly about ice at the time. Cause I, you know, they were hiring all these people. And it's like, who are they? You know, like what kind of army are they building full of these, you know, reject guys that couldn't be cops, you know, guys that get like kicked out of the army. It was like a really, it was a report about like the kind of people they're hiring for ice. And it's just like, Oh, you know, and that, it can seem like it's a future looking album, but it's like you, you, these things have been going on for years and, and decades and maybe all of humanity. So I, I it's remember, easy to, to yeah. write about that. I remember I had a friend who interviewed LP a long time ago about his album and he talked to him about like it being a cyberpunk record or whatever. Cause he was talking about the surveillance state and all this stuff. And, and LP was basically like, this is not a, this is not a science fiction futuristic prognostication that I'm doing here. This I'm talking about what's happening at this exact second, you know? So I think about how, you know, prophetic writing uh, doesn't just mean telling the future. It's, it's also speaking critically to the present, you know, and it feels like that's what a lot of this record is about. Um, you, you know, you talked about this being a decade of proto-martyr, and obviously, when you look back on this as a decade in our in our country, it was um, a mixed bag, let's put it that way. Um, one thing that I've always found very interesting about your, your, your lyrics is that you don't typically talk, you're not talking about, you know, Donald Trump so much as you're talking about the kind of thing that Donald Trump is. Does, does that make any sense? You know, it feels to me like, it feels to me like you're speaking to the spirit of the times as much as you are talking about the specifics. And so when I go through this record and I see that you're kind of talking about wage theft, you're talking about corporatization, you're talking about a lot of these things, but I think you're, you're talking m maybe about the underlying source of human greed and sickness, you know? So so it's 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 interesting. It does feel like an album for the times, whatever that means, you know. But it feels like maybe those things, uh, you know, there have always been albums like that. And I wonder if you're drawn to the kind of bands that sort of evoke that uh, throughout their discography, you know, or the kind of writing or the the works works that do that. Does that? You know, is that sort of where you're drawn uh, on a personal level? Um, no, I mean, I always, I always joke that I really, really, really want to write a party, a party record. You know? Yeah, I yeah. really want to write uh, the Milk and Honey record. Um, you know, one of my favorite bands is Thin Lizzy, and I, you know, they, they did have a few songs that were addressing certain things, but you know. Jailbreak was not about the the prison system, you know. No, it was jail, a song yeah. about guys breaking <laughs> yeah. breaking out of jail, and that's fun, you know. Uh, but it's just it's like a thing that I started. You know, I started writing about things like on the first single we put out has a song about like that that summer or that year that we started in 2010. There was a lot of people getting not a lot, but there's a lot of like robberies and people getting shot over wearing Cartier eyeglasses, you know, very expensive sunglasses in Detroit. And I was like, Oh, that, that's gotta be a song. I gotta write about how like bizarre that is that someone will like, you know, shoot you for your glasses, you know? 
And so that was like, that was baked into the band very early where it's just like, I got to, you know, that's what I, I take in things like a big fat sponge and I, and I kind of spit them out in, in ways. And I tried, I tried to avoid the anthem. I think the, uh, the rallying song can, you know, often slide into pendant, you know, like empty phrases and, yeah, I don't ever want to have the answers because I don't have the answers. You know, if I really thought I had an answer to a problem, I would let you know, but I don't. You know, right? I, I'm merely a student of history, <laughs> so you have to, you know, the ebbs and the flows of it. So it's always been there. I would say, you know, I would love to to write. Uh, yeah, but it's funny because the boys are back in town is kind of an influence on process by the boys. You know, just the idea of the boys. Right. Uh, so, so it's kind of a weird uh, homage to uh, Thin Lizzy. So I'm really trying to write the Thin Lizzy record. It's just uh, it has, hasn't come around yet. Well, I hope the next decade can start with like everything's cool now and Proto Martyrs writing, you know, uh, you know, jock jams or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe I got to write a concept album where it's like Joe had a close head injury and he thinks everything's great now. So here's his like happy, happy, happy album, you know, you know don't tell, don't tell Joe, but he thinks everything's great now. So just let him, let him go. Yeah. And, you know, the video, know. The, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I don't want to like, I, I do often wonder, it reminds me of the end of the, uh, the movie Synecdoche, New York, where the, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's characters were working on a play for decades and he's got the, you know, he's inside the place where he's working on this play is like kind of sealed off from the rest of the world. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is like burning down and they're like, please, you know, when is the play going to open? And he's like, Oh, he's like, so up his own ass that he can't see that like society is grumbling, you know? And I often worry, you know, these albums, these so some, sometimes like happy music is what people need. You know, people need to, sometimes they need it to forget their problems. So I don't want to say this is some sort of like, the only way forward, you know, to, to be creative. Well, so from, uh, Synecdoche, New York to, to RoboCop, um, (laughs) the natural, natural line between those two films, of course, um, Michigan hammers, the video that you guys released, uh, by director, uh, is it Yoon-ha Park? Uh, yeah. Uh, recreates RoboCop from from stock footage, uh, and and to speak again, it it kind of came out right as the conversation about what what policing is uh, in our country, you know, really fired up that that video dropped, and uh, I'm sure that that timing thing again had to stick with you or or stick out, you know, to you. Um, but to me, there's 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 nothing funnier than the fact that RoboCop was created as sort of like a satirical look at relationships America America's relationship with might and authoritarianism and violence, and it holds up on that front. But but somehow RoboCop then spawned a, a, a franchise of cartoons and video games and comic books and more movies that more or less became unironic celebrations of, of that stuff. Uh, were were you a fan of, of of RoboCop as sort of a Detroit kind of movie at all? Well, I I think it's just with uh, RoboCop and Showgirls are like the two perfect uh, representations of what America is in a lot yeah. of ways, you know. Yeah. And when it when it comes down to it, the RoboCop story is just you know your typical Jesus allegory. 
if you want to see something really weird, speaking about how like this, uh, you know, kind of political, uh, very interesting movie gets watered down. There's a, I just saw it recently is the, the Robocop TV show that didn't last very long. Joe Walsh did the theme song for it. That's great. And uh, there's a video of on YouTube of Joe Walsh and Lita Ford singing the song about like <laughs> with with like RoboCop almost dancing. In the, you know, it's very uh, it it screams 1995 when it came out. But yeah, I suggest uh, to all your listeners go go look at that right now. Just to but yeah, again, bad timing. Um, or, or good timing, I don't know. Really, you know, we were trying to come up with videos that we could make during the pandemic. And, you know, what I don't like, yeah, like for instance, they were going to build for a long time, I don't know, they were trying to build a statue of Robocop in Detroit, which kind of fucking misses the point, you know, right. and kind of is, uh, you know, statues right now, also a bad idea. So it's like, yeah. it's, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I, I think. Robocop is not one of those ones that necessarily uh, glorifies the the violent cop in a way, even though he does shoot some guy in the dick. Well, but right. It's it's much more nuanced than uh, I think that some people give it credit for the, the original movie. In in modern business hymns, you know, you sing the pa- I think you say the past is full of dead men. The future is a is a cruel dream or is it a dull dream? I what's the, the correct lyric there? Uh, the future is a cruelty. Cruelty. Okay. Okay. You know, that song also includes the, the title ultimate success today, which is repeated, you know, on the album. But, um, am I sort of picking up on a, on a sort of fascination with the kind of, I don't know how to put this exactly, but the sort of magical financial thinking that a lot of Americans and probably people all over the world, but certainly in America kind of get sucked into this, like, late night infomercial or, you know, talk radio ad or like a banner on a weird website or something, the notion that you can sort of just sort of will yourself into prosperity or ask God to do it for you um, while ignoring the, the material conditions involved. Um, is, is that an area of fascination for you? Yeah, it has been. I mean, like the, the ultimate success today thing probably came from like when, when I'm, can't go to sleep and it's an infomercial and it's like the, the flipping houses one is always right a big a big late night one where it's like put your savings into buying houses and flipping them and just become part of the real estate market and it's like you know yeah the, the idea that money you know people that don't have money don't know how to get it and the people that have money the, the system is made that you get to keep it and you never you can continue making money and money flows to the top and it doesn't go back down. And it's, uh, it's a weird, weird thing. And so that, um, that song was about like thinking about the future. And whereas before it'd be very nice to think about the future and, Oh, I can think about being in a spaceship or something like that. Now you realize like, Oh, if, even if I'm alive for this, uh, you know, going into space, it's going to be the same sort of like capitalist nightmare that earth is, right. you know, it's going to be, the idea of of rich people eating uh, zebra mussels is, is definitely a thing where it's like as food becomes scarcer, what used to be garbage like these zebra mussels are going to be like it's going to be the, the luxury item and the, the poor people are going to be eating dirt. You know, right. there will always be a luxury 
uh, people enjoying luxury where other people suffer. That's just the way the world works. And I don't think that's ever going to change. And I don't think, and so that's, you know, that's a, a bummer, <laughs> but you know, you know, that's, that is how it works. The other, the other thing, the other definition of though of of the word apocalypse, you know, obviously it can mean cataclysmic ending of things, but I think it also means, you know, the root word is like a revelation or something. So it's like an uncovering. And I wonder if you know, yeah. like uh, this album closes with "Worm in Heaven," which is one of the the most beautiful proto martyr songs. Um, and and that cynicism or that darkness that you're talking about, you know, you're licking grace off a of boot heel. I think is what you say. So it's still not a uh, universally hopeful message but there is some sort of like recognition of the idea that grace could be near and so i wonder if there's any way you can read ultimate success today as something like a like a hopeful record in that uh, by at least acknowledging the severity of the the shittiness we might be somewhat on the on the path to to addressing some of it does that do you feel do you feel any hope right now or or excitement or enthusiasm for the the things that could change maybe well to, to stick with the the album and not my own feelings unfortunately as maybe tinged with hope as worm in heaven is it does end with the idea of whether i existed or not well, that's a good point. that if all of this is even worth it if you know if existence is something that is finite. And so, you, you know, I would say that that kind of, it, it's acknowledging that and then maybe trying to move beyond that, or at least acknowledging that that's going to be the end result. And so the advice that is given in the song, maybe some of it, I mean, it is a general feeling I have for all people that they can, they can be happy in life because I think that's really the only thing that you can strive for and possibly achieve in a lot of ways is, is to reach some sort of happiness. And what, however that you reach it, I don't know. So unfortunately I don't, I feel like the ending of the ending of the last album, half sister, I think ended on a hopeful note. And then we carry it into this album where the, the first line of is from the last album is repeated at the beginning but it's I didn't listen to it. I could not find truth, and then this is kind of the the last chapter of the book. So I'm hoping that now that this these five albums are done, if there is a next one, there will be a starting point, like a, a fresh start, uh, in whatever form that is. So the the question of existence is answered through these five albums, and if there's any hope in it, I hope it can be extracted. But I will say that it's probably maybe a little bit more uh, cross-eyed than the last one as far as the future. Well, Joe, thanks for taking the time to talk with me about about this record. I really love it. I hope I didn't bum anybody out. <laughs> I think you probably you probably did, but I think it's okay. I mean, it's it's a really good record. Good. If you're bummed out, listen go, to the record. Yeah. Yeah. Go watch go watch the Joe Walsh RoboCop video. It'll make you happy. <laughs> that will be your happiness for the day. So it's time to say goodbye. I was never too keen on the last words. 
Right. 